Yeah, so chapter 4, we if you don't remember, it's been a while. Um, we had just finished up this passage that, that gave this little poem or hymn uh, of the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in this flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in... Excuse me, got to something this morning. Taken up in glory. And so then we have chapter 4 this morning, the first few verses, and that's our text for this morning. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit who gives light to that word. And Father, we thank you for your son who is the word. We pray this in the name of him. Amen. We had just a short uh, talk this morning on this passage in Sunday school because we were talking about the Holy Spirit. And I think it's worth pointing out to us that Throughout Scripture, God tells us that he's talking to us. And this is one of those places. Paul says, now the Spirit expressly says. And then he says what the Spirit expressly says. He says, in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and the abstinence from food. He says, the Spirit expressly says this. And you'll notice that that's not a quote from anywhere. That's not an Old Testament quote. That's not a quote from somewhere else in the New Testament. That is new. Nowhere else does the Spirit ever say, this is what's going to happen at this particular thing, with this particular thing. And this is God, through his apostle Paul, saying, I am writing to you these things. Over and over, in Paul's writings especially, we have clues to the fact that Paul was aware and that the people he was writing to were aware that he was an apostle, an, an, apostle, an apostle given by God for one of the express purposes being to give us the full nature and extent of the mystery of the gospel. And he does it right here. The Spirit expressly says this. Paul knows it. Paul's telling it just like an Old Testament prophet. This is a very similar phrase to something like, Thus saith the Lord. Paul is here saying, Thus saith the Lord. That's important. It's not going to be the full reason that I'm for the sermon this morning, but it's important to know that this happens often. And it's Important for us to know that this happens often so that people don't catch us off guard because um, there are other places where Paul says things like this. This is 1 Corinthians 7. 
I, Paul, say this to you, not the Lord, but I say this to you. And we modern day hear this and we think, all right, this is just Paul talking. And we can kind of just take this as advice or counsel, but this isn't actually anything other than that. But it's in fact the opposite claim that Paul is making. It's the same kind of claim he makes here, which is Jesus, the Lord, didn't say this when he was here. But I am saying this to you, so you better believe it. Further on in that same epistle, 1 Corinthians, this is chapter 14. um, He says this, uh, If anyone does not recognize... If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Paul was, was very aware of his apostolic authority. He was very aware of the Spirit speaking through him. And he would, knew, just like the prophets of old, knew that he was being carried along by the Spirit to write these things. That's important for you so that you don't fall for the trap of thinking these words were written by this guy named Paul and we don't really know much about it. Paul made claims that God was speaking, just like the Old Testament prophets. So believe what he says. Don't let anyone trick you into thinking that Paul is less authoritative than other words of the Bible. It's also a good antidote. If you have a a Bible with the words of Jesus in red, that's fine, but don't think the words of Jesus are more important than the other words of Scripture. It's helpful when you read, because you can tell when Jesus is talking, but Jesus' words are not any more important than the rest of the words, because all of the words are God's words. And he spoke all of them. Jesus spoke them verbally on earth. And the Spirit spoke them through his prophets and apostles. So that's just an aside. We could spend more on that, but I'm not going to. Um, because I think there's more pressing issues. Because these things quickly became true. Um, In Paul's day and in the latter days of Christianity, that these two things, marriage and food, were going to continually be a problem in the Christian church. Uh, There's just always things that go wrong. And it's interesting that Paul is the one writing this, and he's saying they're going to forbid marriage. And people currently, and we're going to talk about that, but in the past have used passages like 1 Corinthians 7, which says, But I wish all men were like I am, not be married so they wouldn't have the constraints of a wife and children. And they take that to mean no one should get married and that celibacy is the best thing. And that's not what Paul was saying there. Paul was saying celibacy, if it's used correctly, can glorify God. But if you, this is also in 1 Corinthians 7, if you burn, what does he mean by burn? We all know what he means by burn. If you have urges, if you have thoughts, if you want things that the other sex can provide for you, get married. Do not burn in your lust. The antidote is marriage. And the marriage is, in fact, the general way of God's people throughout history of glorifying God. We know this because Adam and Eve were given 
a couple of things to do in the garden. They were given a command not to eat of this one tree. They were given two positive commands. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth only happens if people get married. And so if we're going to continue the mandate that God gave us then, marriage is the way of Christians today. And it always has been. Hebrews says virtually the same. Marriage, the marriage bed is to be held in esteem by all. So, what happens then? Okay, so that's marriage. And then food. Food has always been tricky. Old Testament food laws. Right? Don't eat this, don't eat that, don't eat this. Why do they exist? Lots of reasons. Clean and unclean, right? God was trying to show them in a general way what it meant to be particular, holy unto him. That's the main thing that God is saying. The other thing, we know now that some of those foods don't keep well and were probably not good for people to eat back then. They'd make you sick. It was a secondary means. And then finally we see in uh, the Apostle Peter and the book of Acts that God declares all foods clean because he made them and that that ceremonial law of food cleanness is done away with in Christ. That that particular way of showing the world that we are unique in particular is gone. It was for the Jews, for a time, to show the world that they were uniquely God's. It is no longer the way we show we are uniquely God's. Okay? But it's always been a problem because people will look to passages like Daniel chapter 1 or 2, wherever it is where he says, you know, I'm not going to eat with my friends. We're not going to partake of the table. We're going to fast. We're only going to eat fruits and vegetables. And we think, that must be the diet. Fruits and veggies the way for me. We have stuff like Ezekiel bread using this recipe of all these seeds that Ezekiel was told to mush together. Um, and we think, that's the holy food. You know, we got Ezekiel bread, we got fruits and veggies, those are the things. If this is beginning to sound familiar, it's because it is what is currently happening. You know, thankfully, I grew up in a small town, and I now live again in a, well, it's three times as big as my small town, but still a small town, Jasper, still a small town. We haven't quite hit this here. But let me tell you, this foodie thing is coming hard for people here. This idea that certain foods are off limits and it comes from the secular world and it has infiltrated the church in many, many ways. And there are lots of people who forbid the eating of certain foods as though they are wicked. And they won't say it's wicked. They'll say things like, you know, white bread... Wonder Bread is really not good for you. And if you really think that your body is a temple of God, do you really want to be putting things in it like Wonder Bread? Just something to think about. Just something to think about. It's very, it's very low dose. But listen, all things, I'm just going to read it. Everything, 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 that God created is to be received with thanksgiving. You can eat whatever it is that you like to eat with moderation, which is a separate sin of which I know plenty. Food is not the problem. 
and abstinence from certain foods will not be the solution. Marriage is not a problem. And abstinence from marriage will not be a solution. Okay? So that's the general. That's, that's the general. Now let's pull it down into some specifics. So, you are all peripherally aware, at least, some of you more than others, that this issue of homosexuality in the church and in the world is growing. It's becoming more of a problem just by way of we're hearing about it more. And then there are lots of movements within the evangelical and reformed world of which we are a part. So there's things like Revoice, which you may have heard of. It's a conference held annually at a PCA church, not technically by a PCA church, but in a PCA church and administered over by pastors in the PCA, but not headed by the PCA. There's all kinds of ways to kind of skid around the fact that these guys are doing it. Revoice is an annual conference that celebrates things like the gay celibate movement, spiritual friendship. And we're going to get into these a little bit, just so you know what's going on and how it can be an antidote to you to know what's happening before it hits. Okay? Spiritual friendship sounds good on the outside. They use friendships like David and Nathan in the Old Testament. And David says, I have loved you more than I've ever loved a woman. They're like, see, something, something fishy going on there, wasn't there? Are you, are you sure that David and Jonathan, I said Nathan, David and Jonathan weren't a little more than friends? And then you have, I mean, this, you think I'm making this up. This is, I've read these papers. These are professors in Christian colleges saying these things. Mark Yarhouse, Preston Sprinkle, um, uh, the guys at Covenant Seminary, uh, I can't think of his name, uh, Ed Shaw, um, Sam Alberry. These guys all say these sorts of things. Some of them go so far to say things about the Apostle John and Jesus. This is happening. This is not like over in the liberal land over there. This is in conservative, reformed, evangelical churches, universities, seminaries. This is on the Gospel Coalition website. This is on Desiring God. This is on Together for the Gospel. These men are promoted. Friends of mine. Good friends of mine. Best friends of mine. Fallen prey to this. Who abandon all the teachings of Scripture when it comes to how to deal with things like homosexuality. And what is preached by these folks? What is the gay celibate movement? What is spiritual friendship? It is, in a nutshell, the forbidding of marriage. It says to a gay man, you're always going to be like this. You're always going to have these urges. You're always going to think about men this way. And because you can't get married, you have to stay single and just deal with your sin in a, on your own without any help. We're going to help you by just kind of patting you on the back and saying, I know it's tough, but good luck these 80 years. Okay? They take the easy way out. Because actually helping someone through a sin like homosexuality is hard work. 
takes a lot more than just patting them on the back and saying, I'm sorry you can't ever get married, and I'm sorry you're going to think like this the rest of your life, and I'm sorry about that, but that's what you've got to do. It puts the whole burden of dealing with a sin on that person, and none of it on us. We don't have to walk with this guy. We have to pat him on the back and say, I'm sorry. And he gets to go, isn't my life great? Or isn't my life hard? Am I not so great for having to deal with this burden of homosexuality? And how great am I for having to deal with this? And I, I live a celibate life, not because I want to, but because I have to. And then they quote things like 1 Corinthians 7. And 1 Corinthians 7 says, if you burn, get married. It's not rocket science. God has not made it difficult to understand. This doesn't mean you take a guy who yesterday repented of his homosexuality and became a Christian, and you get him together with a girl and pretend like everything's going to be okay. But you also don't tell that man, you have no hope of marriage. Therefore, take on a spiritual friendship. And this is what a spiritual friendship is. You can go to spiritualfriendship.org and read this kind of thing. This is promoted by Mark Yarhouse, who's the head of sexuality at uh, Wheaton College. It's promoted at Covenant, Theolo- Covenant Seminary. This is promoted at Houghton in New York. It's promoted everywhere. Mark Yarhouse was promoted by Grace College here in Indiana. Okay. Mark Yarhouse believes in something called spiritual friendship. Spiritual friendship is saying to a man who's gay, who's in his 20s, and is repenting, trying to be a Christian. Say, okay, you're never going to be able to get married. You're going to have to deal with this your whole life. Why don't you get a roommate and have a, a spiritual friendship with them that is more intimate? This is a, almost a verbatim quote. More intimate than marriage by living together with another man. Do you see how easy it is to see that that's a bad idea? You have a guy who's freshly repenting of homosexuality, and you tell him to become extremely intimate with a guy who he lives with. Now, just to give it, just to give you some air about this, let's say you know a young couple who's recently become a Christian, okay, a man and a woman. Would you then tell them after they become Christians, they break up, whatever happens, okay, they're no longer together? Would you tell that woman and that man? To live with another woman or man and just become intimate friends with them but don't have sex? No. If your son or daughter decided to have another opposite sex roommate in their 20s when their bodies are raging, you would go, that's not a good good idea. (laughs) Even if you don't think you're going to do anything with that girl, you spend enough long nights watching movies on the couch... Things will happen. We all know this. But we say to the the 22-year-old guy, go spend long nights, long, deep conversations intimately with another guy, but don't ever do anything. And marriage is not the answer. We have taken all of the work out of Christianity for us. We've made it all their job to figure out how to deal with their life on their own in hopes that they never do that specific sin with another man or if they're a woman with another woman. How strongly does God speak against this sort of thing? 
Well, right here he says it's the teaching of demons to forbid marriage. Let's look at another piece. This is Colossians chapter 2. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. So we say to the guy, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And so he beats himself. He's like, okay, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. I won't touch anything. I won't think about anything. I'll, I'll refrain from doing all this stuff. And Paul says, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom, an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. We put that guy in a room with another guy, and we say, have an intimate relationship, have a spiritual friendship with this guy, but don't ever go to bed with him, even though you want to. And we think that's okay. That's good for them. They should learn some self-control. Paul says, they can beat themselves all day and all night, and it will not help them with the indulgence of the flesh. We take the easy way out because what actually is the work of the gospel? What actually is the work of the church? What actually is the work of repentance? This is Colossians chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Quit making it about the stopping of indulgence. For when you have died, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What is the message to the repenting homosexual who's 22 years old? The lesbian. Don't get married. Suck it up. You're going to be single the next 70 years of your life. Sorry about your luck. God made you that way. Guess you're just going to have to deal with it. Don't touch anything. Don't handle anything. Be intimate, but don't touch. Get real deep with somebody, but don't ever caress them. That's crazy. That's crazy. What do we have to tell these people? What do we have to tell ourselves about our own sin. You have died. Put to death. What is the difficult work of the gospel? It's putting to death those things that are in you. It's not saying to them, you're like this. You can't get married. Sorry about your luck. The hard work is actually saying, your desires are wicked. They need to be put to death. And they go, but I'm, I'm just like this. It's what I feel. It's what I think. It's deep. I've thought about it my whole life. And you go, you have died. You have died. 
You are no longer your own. You don't get to decide that that's the way you are and that's the way you think and that's the way you feel. God has given you new desires. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And this is true of all the things of all of us, right? We often have this kind of thing, and we think of it in different terms. I'm going to give one example from my life. My family on my mother's side, a little bit on my father's side, but I didn't get to experience it. My grandpa on my father's side had a debilitating stroke before I was born, so I didn't get to experience his anger and abuse. But my my mom's dad was a pretty angry fella, right? He's Irish. He's from Kentucky. The Irish gene runs deep, right? It's a family sin to be angry. My grandpa and one of his brothers, Coet, got into an argument once over horse manure when I was about 10. And by getting into an argument, I mean they got into a hypothetical argument about whose horse manure would be better. I am not joking. This happened. They did not speak for 10 years after that argument. You think that's good? Healthy? Good? Fun? Righteous? No. All of us know that's awful. Now me. I have the same exact problem. I am, if I want to use the words of the way they talk about homosexuality today, I am an angry man. I am a grudge-holding man. Would you accept me if that's the way I came to you and said, I want to be your pastor, but you should know this about me. I'm actually an angry grudge-holder. You're just going to have to get over that part of it because that's just who I am. That's, God, that's who God made me. That's the family I grew up in. That's the grandpa that I saw. That's the mom that I saw. Just who I am. You, you'd call me nuts. You would not hire me, and you would be right. That's, that's ludicrous. What actually has to happen? Well, my grandpa had to repent of being an angry man. My mom had to be, repent of being an angry woman. And I have to repent of being an angry man. How do I do that? By saying, it's no longer I who live but Christ in me. Which means all these things that I think are part of me. All these things that I think I can't possibly be rid of. These things that just belong to my personality. I have to put them to death. There is no other option. Now, do you think that's easy work or hard work? Do you think it would be easier for people to just say to me, Joe, you just got to get a handle on your anger. That's what we would probably try to say. Just get a handle on your anger. Joe, you may not be an angry man. That's what we actually have to say to me. You have to die. We'll help you die. We'll help you put it to death. But it's not just, you can be angry and just as long as you kind of keep it under wraps, that's okay. It's not. It's not okay for our sins to just kind of be, just right bursting below the surface and we've just kind of constrained it enough, we've beaten it down, we've, we've said, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Get it, get it, do it. And then we get poked. And it bursts out. Bursts out. But this is what we say to men and women now. Who struggle with homosexuality. We say, okay, you can't get married. You've got no place for your burning to go. 
other than down deep in you. Push it down. Bottle it up. Don't let it out. It's bad. You can't be with another man. You're a, ba- you're a boy. You can't be with boys. What do you think is going to happen? Well, I can tell you what happens. I have friends who this has happened to. Bottle it up, bottle it up, bottle it up. Homosexual adultery. That's what happens. It's happened for thousands of years, too. If you think this is a new thing, read about the rampant homosexuality that exists in the priesthood of the Catholic Church. And it's not new. The pederasty and the pedophilia that was uncovered a decade ago, it's not new. It's a thousand years old. It was well known at the time of the Reformation. Everybody knew it. Everyone knew the priests went to Rome to diddle boys. Everyone knew it. And when Luther saw it, he was overcome. Couldn't handle it. It was disgusting. It still is disgusting. Why, why does it happen? Why is it going on? Well, who could think? What has the Roman Catholic Church done? They have forbidden marriage to their priests. And we think that that's okay. We think that's good. Celibate priests. Not good. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. You know there are Roman Catholic funds for the nieces and nephews of priests? Do you know who the nieces and nephews of priests fund is? Illegitimate children of priests and nuns. It's been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Because those priests and nuns think, well, I can't actually have them live with me because that would mean I broke my vows and I couldn't be a nun or a priest anymore. But I can't abandon my children. So we'll set up this fund for my nephew, for my niece. And they'll go live somewhere and I'll take care of them through this fund. We just cover over it. And we're in danger of doing the same thing. We think that's so ridiculous on the Roman Catholic side, and yet we fall for it hook, line, and sinker when it comes to this homosexuality debate. Listen, does it mean that every single former homosexual needs to get married? No. Does it mean that many of them should? Yes. Because the gift that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 7 is not a gift of just being celibate. I'm not going to think. I'm not... He says, if you burn, get married. If you have a gift where burning is not a thing for you, where you don't have thoughts that are out of control, and you can, without much effort at all, not think about the things of marriage and the bed. You have a gift. Use it for the glory of God. And some repenting homosexuals and some repenting lesbians will have that gift. And they will remain single and they will glorify God in their lives. Many more of them have been told, it doesn't matter if you have the gift. You're going to have to be celibate. You're going to have to be celibate. You're going to have to refrain from the thing that God gave you to be the help to you in this. God gave us the marriage bed for lots of reasons. And one of them is to, this is according to our confession, the Westminster. So marriage is for fellowship with another, right? God gave Eve to Adam as a helper. 
It's fellowship. It's just communion. God gave Eve to Adam to procreate, to fill the earth. And then God gave us marriage after the fall to keep Adam from stumbling and to keep Eve from stumbling with other men and women. It protects us from sin. Why wouldn't we give that gift to those people who struggle? It's hard work. It takes a lot more work than just saying, sorry about your luck. You're just going to have to suck it up and deal. It takes a much more intimate knowledge of someone than just saying, I'm sorry about your luck. You're just going to have to deal. And we think we've given them the good answer. It's not a good answer. It's a bad answer. And it's everywhere. It's everywhere coming for us. It's splitting the PCA church right down the middle, right now. 60-40. They literally had a vote last year. 60-40. Over affirming the Nashville statement on sexuality. Which is a pretty mediocre statement, but it basically just says, yep, male and female. It's the way God made it. Anything outside of that is unnatural. 40% of the PCA voted against it. Three presidents, former presidents of Covenant Seminary voted against it. It's all public record. It's all right there. We, we, we think all the time, I mean, I, I'm constantly giving this refrain to you, and you're probably sick of it, but you probably have to deal with me for another 30 years saying it. We think it's all out there somewhere. It's in the liberal places. It's over there. It's right here. And for some of you, it's right personal. Sons, daughters, nieces, nephews, brothers, sisters. How do we help them? Well, we help them, first of all, by saying what they're doing is wrong. They need to repent. And we help them further by actually coming alongside them in the struggle of trying to put to death their former self and actually helping them. Not saying, you know, sorry, you're just going to have to deal with it. But to say, when they say, no, I just, it's just who I am. You go, no, it's not. No, it's not. You once were. But now you are a child of God. You once were consumed with that. But now you are. And we preach this and we tell them this. And they say, no, that's not true. And we say, you may not be a gay Christian. You say, that's, that's not nice. Well, listen, you may not be an angry Christian. You may not be those sorts of things. There's thousands of commands that you may not be this way and be a Christian. Why? Because Christ was put to death for you. He was raised to life again for you. And if they are repenting, he was put to death for their sin. And it is dead. It's no longer them. It's no longer me. It's no longer you. It is Christ in us. And that difficulty, that difficulty is what we just don't like to give ourselves to. We don't like to help people past the point of difficulty. What we like is to say, you believe? Great. You're on your own. Good luck with that. But the way that 
Scripture talks about this thing. We read a little passage in Ephesians this morning. To the thief I say, no longer steal, but rather work hard so that you may have something to give. To the homosexual you say, you may no longer think that way, act that way, but rather you must think and act this way so that you have something to give. Nothing good comes from that way of thinking. Nothing good came from my angry way of thinking. All of it has to be put to death. You have to be put to death. I have to be put to death. They have to be put to death. That's the work of the gospel. And if we're not willing to go there with people, then we're better off just being quiet. We think we've come up... I mean. People think that this is like the new thing. Like no one's ever thought of this before. Oh, you know what would be a good solution to this problem? Celibacy. Huh. 2,000, 4,000, 6,000, 8,000, 10,000 years. Nobody's ever thought of this before. Why don't they just tell gay people to be celibate and then everything will be fine? Huh. We're so novel. We have, we have solved the problem of this particular sin. Look at us. We're so, we're so smart. You read their stuff, and it reads like that. It's just disgusting. I read this book by Preston Sprinkle, and it just made me want to barf. It just is so full of, like, look at us. We have figured it out. We have solved the problem for the ages. None of these other pastors for thousands of years ever figured out how to deal with gay people in any way that was helpful. They just hated them. Just hated the gay people. For thousands of years, that's just what the church did. Just hated gay people. You're like, no, that's not, that's not true. Churches loved, loved gay people and called them to repentance since the earliest days. How do I know this? How do I know this? Sodom and Gomorrah happened, guys. You know where that's recorded for us? In like the 25th chapter of Genesis. This ain't new. It's not like we just figured out how to deal with this sin. It's been there. We've been dealing with it. Somebody out there did not just figure this out. Ed Shaw didn't figure it out. To quote just a couple of things before we close. Just to let you know how close to the bone this is. How close to our houses it is. How close to our church it is. Two men. Ed Shaw. Wrote rights for the Gospel Coalition um, regularly. Um, wrote an article about six years ago now called Heterosexuality is Not the Gospel. And in it, he rebuked parents who pray that their kid would not be gay. He rebuked parents who have the audacity to pray that their son or daughter does not grow up to like boys or girls or vice versa. He rebuked them. said, you shouldn't pray that way. Now think of it with any other sin. You as a good mother or father pray that your child will not be greedy. That's a good prayer. You should pray that. If you see inklings of greed in your child when they're six or eight or ten, if they're thieving things, you don't just discipline them and hope it works itself out. You pray to God, God save my child from greediness. Don't let my child become a thief. 
You see effeminacy or butchness in your girl or your boy at six or eight, ten. You don't just go, well, I hope that doesn't come to fruition. You work to discipline it out of them and you pray to God, God, don't let my boy to grow up effeminate. Don't let my girl to grow up to be a lesbian. And that's a faithful prayer. And Ed Shaw is wicked for saying otherwise. Wicked. Those are good prayers. And those are good parents. Second, Tim Keller. This is a quote from about 10 years ago. Tim Keller is the darling child of Christianity. And has said, to his credit, many, many good and helpful things. This, however, is not among them. Ten years ago, heterosexuality can't get anyone into heaven, so how could homosexuality ever send anyone to hell? Direct quote. He has defended it many times since. Heterosexuality could never get anyone into heaven, so how could homosexuality ever send anyone to hell? Well, you're right, Tim. Heterosexuality never got anyone to heaven, nor did any other good behavior on the face of the planet because we are not saved by works but rather by the righteousness of Christ. But I absolutely disagree with you there, Tim, because homosexuality along with a laundry list of other sins in many places in Scripture, not least among them 1 Corinthians 6.9 which expressly lists homosexuality actually do send men to hell. You practice these things You don't go to heaven. And it's not because you didn't do good. It's because you did wicked. And God judges the wicked. It's because you didn't believe in Christ and you didn't put to death the deeds of the body. Because if you did that, if you believed in Christ, you would go to heaven. Whether or not you practiced homosexuality in the past or not. doesn't matter. But homosexuality absolutely can and does and has sent men and women to hell. As has greed and a litany of other things. These men who say these things are not helpful to God's kingdom. They're not helpful to men and women. And you can tell that it, if there is a anger burning up into me this morning, I hope, I hope you see that it's righteous. It is unbelievable to me that pastors would say these things to their people and think they're helping. It's not helpful. It's not helpful. And they ought to be ashamed of themselves. And so I'm trying to tell you this morning that these things are there. They're out there. They're dangerous. Rely on just simple Bible wisdom that your grandpa would have said, which is, you know, put to death things that are the deeds of the body. Just quote scripture. You are dead. That's your old self. Those are are the things, and those things are hard. They're not once-and-done answers for somebody who's struggling with sin. You don't just say to the thief one time, you made it two days without stealing nothing? Well, good job, Bill. I guess you're really on the track. Ain't nothing left for you to do. Why don't you go get a job at Walmart where it's easy to steal things? Give me a break. No, you, you work with Bill. You get him a job where it's very difficult to steal things, like at a machine, like in a factory, where, like, what's he going to steal? A car hood? You get him jobs where his, his desires are put to death for him. You help him in a thousand ways. 
You don't tell them, go have a spiritual friendship, but don't touch. Press it down. Conceal it up. Instead, you say, God has given you desires. Some of them are wicked and need to be put to death, and those are among them. I said that wrong. (laughs) I said that wrong. God has not given you desires that are wicked. You have desires that are wicked. And some of them, and all of the wicked desires need to be put to death. And instead, you need to have the desires of God. And that's the hard work of the gospel. Do not forbid marriage. Do not forbid the eating of foods. All things are to be received with thanksgiving and prayer. We're going to talk more about that aspect of things next week. Let's pray this morning and we'll sing our final hymn.